everyone, and welcome back. Um, we're now into our question and answer um, period of our uh, luncheon. Um, just before we start, I'd like to remind everybody that these sessions can be heard on audio as a podcast from SACPA's website. And we have a suggestion box um, for further um, discussions over lunch hour if you have something that you would like us to talk about. Um, with that, um, I'm going to reintroduce Shauna and um, ask anyone to come forward with their questions for today. Hi, Shauna. I'm Maria Fitzpatrick. And uh, first of all, thank you for having the courage uh, to crawl into uh, Streets Alive and making the decision to move forward with your life. I am sure that it has impacted others as I think it probably impacted us today. And that brings me to my question. You know the rhetoric that's going on in the city. How do we um, make sure the message you've provided goes out to those people who, um, who not only don't appreciate that this is um, a medical, a psychological, uh, a physical issue for everybody who has an addiction. How do we get that message that these are people just like us and any of us could be in that same position? And if there's going to be healing, we have to help people to get to that point. Absolutely. And I, I strongly believe that the, they're, uh, because they're not really uh, sure and exactly. Um, how, how that happens and stuff, but sometimes it's living proof, right? I mean, you, giving a source and saying, hey, you know what, well, there's this person who has this much time clean and sober and hasn't ever had to go back to using drugs and alcohol, right? Because some people don't believe it because all they see is what they see, right? But what we need to do and I need to do and what I'm really trying to work on is getting out the word that recovery is real and bringing more real people that have recovered and are living a life today of ab complete abstinence and working and having their own homes and stuff is people aren't seeing those, those out there. So what we need to do is we need to be able to bring out and say like, any one of you guys can day and say, hey, you know what? I met this girl, and she is, like, sober and clean, and she has an amazing job, and she is doing well. And, and spreading that word instead of the word that, you know, they're not going to get better, they're not going to do this. I am living proof. And people, like I said, people thought I would die. But now you guys have a little bit of information, and, you know, direct them to resources. Direct them to Genesis Connect for Women. I'm, I will talk to anybody at any given time and explain some of the other women too as well that are actually recovering from drugs and alcohol. Yes. My name is Beth Moyer. Thank you for your talk and I applaud you for your life choices that you have made and, and continued with it. That's great. Uh, my question is we hear so much about the need for detox and treatment and recovery. Could you explain that more, like what the, what, the different, uh, what the different facilities would do or the different, like once we got these, and would this all be in the same building or in existing facilities or how would that work? 
Well, there's so many detoxes and treatment centers out there, out in the community. So basically where it starts when you're wanting to get somebody help is definitely detox. There is a detox here in Lethbridge at the Lethbridge Regional Hospital. There is one out in Fort McLeod, which we use actually quite regularly. And there is one in the Medicine Hat. Uh, so there's not, all, there's not, sometimes there's, they're out of town. But that's basically where the start is, is where you get them into the detox. Once they're in detox, detox actually works with them to figure out where to go next, like where are the treatments. So they have applications, they'll actually work with the client there and say, okay, would you like to go to this treatment center or this treatment center or which one's gonna work for you? But detox is definitely the first place to go. Uh, Fort McLeod detox. Sometimes though, because of the need is so high, they don't always have beds. So it's kind of like uh, phoning on a daily basis, which is really hard because sometimes when they want to stop now and you've got no bed for them, it's hard, right? So sometimes there is that waiting list where they got to get up and call the next day, but it's the baseline of where to start detox because detox is where they start getting communicating with um, some of the counselors there they learn about programming they learn about the different treatment centers and stuff like that and it's really hard because detox is when they are starting to come off of all the alcohol and the drugs and stuff so they're pretty shaky and and unsure at the time and scared right Larry Elford thank you for your presentation Sean I got a question from the back that uh, said, we all understand addiction pretty well, and the, uh, the things we might not talk about as much are, and I found some reading glasses, I'll put them up here if anybody's looking for them, sorry to interrupt my question. The things we don't talk about is uh, codependency, what is it, what does it mean, how do you define it, and trauma, how does that also relate to the, the topic that you're addressing? Um, I can only speak a little bit on codependency because um, I, I, I have, you know, codependency is when somebody's codependent. Let's say if you have a, a son that's addicted to alcohol and you're, you know, you're consistently helping him and he's, you know, asking you for money and you're providing money or you're providing him a place to live or certain things. That's kind of what codependent is. They do have a, uh, a group on Wednesday night. It's called Codependency No More if you want to learn more information about that. And I forgot the last question. Trauma. Trauma. Uh, addiction is, uh, we believe, that is, is strongly trauma-based. Trauma comes from abuse from when they were a child. It can come from many different things, things that they've seen. Some people have seen people die. To them, that's trauma. So that's why we, in our program, we always, always send them to counseling to deal with their trauma-based issues. If I would not have dealt with my trauma, and one of the, one of the biggest things um, when I said that I was talking to Julie about is I always said that I, ca I can't get rid of the pain. The pain that I couldn't get rid of was from all the trauma in my past. Once I dealt with my trauma, was I able to move forward. But until then, I was still a broken person. Terry Shellington, <clears throat> thank you very much for your presentation. I have a question that comes from having been the father of an alcoholic <clears throat> who never reached that moment where he was ready to make changes. And you described somewhat briefly the day or that moment in which you were ready to make changes. And I wonder if you can help uh, take us a little deeper into that. Uh, uh, for those of us who are not alcoholics, but maybe our friends or, or uh, parents of an alcoholic or something like that, what, what can you describe what constitutes that, that moment, that turning point, and what other people 
can do to enable that to happen or facilitate it. Um, most of us don't understand the, the, what happens in that magical moment in which people are ready to change. Yeah. Uh, for me, every, everybody's different, right? It doesn't. Um, sometimes it has to be a um, a consequence or something bad, severely bad happens in their life that they have decide that maybe that they don't want to. It's it's like a rock bottom, right? You kind of hit a rock bottom of where you just maybe don't want to be anymore. Like um, you. You know, like I said, you, there's consequences of the things that happen if you've done something wrong, and maybe their consequence is that bad that they decide they don't ever want to go back there. For me, my my rock bottom was when the doctor came in and told me that I was going to die, and I decided that I wanted to choose to live. So any rock bottom can be different, but at that moment, you're you're uh, you're vulnerable because you really do want to change your life, and it's really hard. But basically, it has to be a choice that the individual makes. Can you help us understand what other people can do? Supplementary, please. <laughs> uh, what other people can do to enable that, or should they just stay out of it and watch her? It's uh, it's hard to say because uh, like some people can try. You can it, you know it's like you can always tell them there's detox, there's different help, there's other um, organizations that can help you out there. There's AA meetings and stuff like that. Basically, it's a personal choice. Um, I had to decide on my own and nobody could tell me anything. They used to always tell me, and a lot of times I went to treatment for all the wrong reasons because people would say, oh, you need to go to treatment or you need to do this. So I would go, but I wasn't 100%. It wasn't 100% my choice. I was going to make them happy, right? So basically it had to be my decision and I had to choose when I was ready to stop. And everybody's individual is different. There's nothing you can do to, to tell people, you know what, I think you'd have a better life doing this. Until they're actually ready, that has to be a decision made on their own. Yeah. Hello, my name is Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for coming. So I wanted to speak about this. <clears throat> uh, could you tell us a little bit about the, the support you get from the city, uh, for one? Uh, they just uh, approved a, a safe home in, in an area where there was overwhelming opposition to having it there. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And the other question I have is related to the safe consumption site. What are your thoughts on the safe consumption site and uh, whether that actually enables a lot of people to use drugs more more so than they otherwise would. Mm -hmm. uh, with the city, we were very, very grateful and blessed because the need for uh, more uh, recovery housing, safe housing for women is definitely needed. And yes, we, um, we understood some of the, you know, problems and questions and stuff that arise. So we're very grateful that we're going to be able to open up another housing. Um, like I said, our other house, we've been there. It's been there for seven years. It has not had one complaint there. So we were ju we're just really happy to be able to, uh, to to move forward with this and put more supportive housing because our supportive housing is abstinent based. There's no guests allowed, and we're very firm on that. We do not allow people over there. Uh, we have it staff monitored. There is, uh, they are required, they have rules and curfews and tons of stuff, so it's, it's well monitored. Um, as for arches, I cannot comment on that. I'm sorry, as of right now. 
Okay, my name is Mark Gettle. I realize that detox is a lot more than just stop taking the drug or whatever you're taking, mm -hmm. but I'm just wondering what happens to the addicted person who goes to jail? What kind of services or what kind of things happen in jail to someone who is addicted and yet is not really in detox? Right. So sometimes they have um, in the jails, because I have been there and um, I've had to detox off of alcohol uh, when I have been there. So this is a personal thing, is they did put me in healthcare and they did help me with some proper medication to relieve my withdrawals and stuff a bit. And then they after, you know, they kept me in there for two or three days and then I was released up into the to regular things. So, yeah. My name is Mary Shillington. Thank you for your talk and your honesty. Uh, you're, I, I agree with you, you're having to, being able to share that can have impact on people. I'm a retired clinical social worker, and so the people that I, I, I often dealt with people through trauma, that were working through trauma, but you have to reach a plateau where you're able to cope with that pain and being able to share it. So from your experience, like I heard you say, the consistent caring and love and support you got from, from Streets Alive was an important piece of that. Some people don't have that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what would you suggest as a, as a group or individuals we could be doing to help people to get to the point where they feel loved and cared enough that they could deal with the trauma? That would be probably based on ind individuals and stuff and families and stuff that maybe want to be trying. I mean, because I am no counselor, so, but I can say that it doesn't hurt to, as families, to support them through the trauma if they're willing to work with it. If not, there is counselors that will help them to get to, uh, to that point before they're willing to work on the trauma, right? Because there's small different points. It wasn't like I could just walk in to see the counselor. It took me probably six months of counseling before I was actually ready to deal with the trauma issues. Yeah. Hi, my name is Lori Schultz, and thank you very much for your presentation today. Um, I'm really pleased in your presentation you noted that you, your programs also fill gaps between, say, detox and treatment. and and counseling, and I think that continuity is so critical. Um, my question is around treatment, and just based on your experience and what you've observed with um, other participants, are there, what, what, what length of treatment services are there in Alberta? I, I understand that there is a waiting list, so a few things around that. What, what is the range of waiting time for a person to get into treatment? Is treatment sufficiently long enough? Um, just if you could speak to a little bit about is there adequate, realistic treatment options available and are more required or, you know, are we, where are we at with that? Thanks. Absolutely there is. Uh, there is different <clears throat> treatment centers with different times and different lengths of stays. There, um, when they go to detox, what they do is they usually work with a counselor at the detox center and that detox center can tell them, you know, which, which treatment center might suit them better. Um, we have had some clients that there is, um, there's one as low as 
a treatment center that's as low as 19 days, there's ones that's a 30 days, there's ones that's 60 days, there's one that's a 90 day. We also have Teen Challenge, which is a full year of a treatment center. We have had uh, two of our clients we have sent to Teen Challenge, and one is still in there right now doing really, really well. The other girl is doing really amazing. She just got married. She's got a great job working with a mission now, and she's been there. She probably about two years, well, she was there for a year, and then she got out and she started working for Teen Challenge as a coordinator and stuff like that. So it, it, it all depends, right, on the person. I was told that if I didn't get it this time, I was gonna go away to the year treatment center, but I got it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, but yeah, so there's different, definitely different times, and, and they get to decide that what works for them. If, it, you know, one isn't working, maybe suggest that maybe you need to go for a longer term one right? Because we don't know um, the underlying issues with a certain individual and everybody's an individual and, and needs different help than like somebody in, that I know would need different help than what I did, right? Hi, Shauna. Thank you very much for your story. Um, not, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was wondering now, Streets Alive is faith-based. Yep. Okay, now from between detox and treatments, what if somebody is against even hearing the word God? What other, what similar programs are available in Lethbridge to yours that they could go to? Uh, there is Southern Alcare Manor, I believe, and it's a co-ed uh, recovery place. Um, downtown somewhere so that's that's one of the places they can go other than that there is besides our programs there is no recovery houses in Lethbridge besides the ones that we have and Southern Alcare Manor hi I'm Michelle we talked a little bit earlier and we did um, I wanted to know and it was a, it's a personal question but um, as a person who hasn't had experience with those drugs could you tell us a little bit about like, is it a feeling of euphoria? Do you feel good right away when you, and is that why they keep taking them? It's, and then is each time less? Is that what I'm understanding? The other thing is, where, where, does, where does Streets Alive get its funding? The two things. Okay, so um, the high, uh, for, it, it differs for every kind of drug. Not one drug's the same. So you'll get a different high from smoking pot, you'll get a different high from smoking crack, and you'll get a different high from smoking meth or opiates or whatever, right? So the crack cocaine, which I was on, it was like a feel-good instant thing. And for me, it was like something, it was like a stimulant. And because I was a chronic alcoholic before I was drug uh, on the drugs, it helped me to stay sober. So I figured out if I took crack, I could drink for days. So I was like putting it vice versa, right? And then, oh, I forgot the other question. Funding. Funding. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization, so we rely on our fundraisers, and uh, the community is very has blessed us with, you know, like donations of clothing and things like that. Yeah, but we have a philanthropist who does a lot of our fundraising for us. Douglas Mitchell, um, I really admire your courage for coming out and telling us your story. And I would also like to say that in my experience, the alco few alcoholics I've known have been very smart, above average smart. However, I'd like to focus in on Streets Alive 
It was started, as you know, by Ken Kissick, who's who has done a wonderful job from a faith community, which some of us were skeptical of, or even though we are involved in, in other faith communities. And I don't think we should let this question of faith uh, and the belief in God and how we express that uh, affect our support for what you're doing. Um, and I would like to get, get a better handle. My experience with Streets Alive is once a year, I'll go down with my surplus clothing or, and uh, socks and things, and maybe some other new clothing. Uh, but your needs, uh, what, what are they? Are, is it finance? Are, are you looking for more support uh, from people? who have experience in this area, or who have the time to do that. I'd just like to get an idea of where Streets Alive and this Genesis uh, organization that you're involved with uh, stand in terms of their needs, in, in particular on finance and other supports. Well, we can always use financial support, and then the financial support goes right into uh, either it depends you can say where which organization you want it to go if you want it to go in the men's program and in the women's program we're also very very blessed when people just bring in like you said uh socks and underwear and and shirts and warm clothes and right now with the weather being um, mitts and stuff and you know and it's it's a double up weather because it is getting colder so we're very very busy right now yeah Bev Mundell Stone. Thank you so very much for your candid talk and taking us through your, your very hard younger history and helping us to understand the road that you've traveled and that many people, many people in society travel. Um, my questions relate to the, the um, it seems like you've described for the faith-based community, if someone goes, if someone has an addiction, that through Streets Alive and your many-faceted program, someone can go in, go through <coughs> re detox, rehab, counseling, and and housing, and get sort of the full package. I'm wondering if someone knocks on your door, they say, "I don't, I have no faith, I don't want to be proselytized, I don't want to have religion, but can I go through your program? Would you accept them?" Yes, we have. We have accepted them. I actually was one person who had no faith when I walked through the doors. Uh, and so we don't push it on them. We don't make them. We ask them if they're open to it, you know, and if they're open to it, that's also a bonus. Um, I was uh, never had a God, but I hated God, and I never wanted God in my life ever. And um, through the program, though, I found my God. And some people do, some people don't. So we've had, yeah, quite a few that came in with no beliefs at all. And could but you we tell don't, us? We don't deny them, no. Thank you. And could you tell us how many people are in the programs? I, uh, yeah, right now I have, uh, I have a, one house is five. Uh, five women can fit in. The other house has three women, so that's eight. And I believe the men are sitting at 12. And Mark Gettle again. I believe that Streets Alive is trying to open up a new treatment center for women in, an, in a residential area at Scenic Heights. Mm -hmm. 
And unfortunately, it seems to have spurred on almost a hysteria by a lot of the people in the area claiming that the real estate is going to be have the value and, and basically paranoia and hysteria. What would you, what would you tell them right now if I, if I was here and telling you that, my God, my house is going to be worth half the amount. This is a wrong place and the wrong. It's, it, this is places in the wrong place. So what would you tell me? Well, our other house hasn't decreased any value on any of the other surrounding houses that, that's been sitting there for seven years. Um, our house is not a treatment center. It is a safe place for women to start living their lives again. It is completely abstinent-based. So I think there's a vision of people seeing maybe that they think of Streets Alive and think of all the homeless people and stuff downtown and stuff, and they figure that if we put these women that it's going to attract those people, which in the seven years of being at our other house, we've, that's never been attracted. They've never been coming around the houses and stuff because it's, because it's an abstinence space, because it's staffed, because the rules are high, there is nothing like we haven't affected the community where the first one's standing right now. And if anything, like when you walk up to our one house, it looks like a normal house. We have a beautiful yard. We have flowers. We have, you know, everything's well taken care of. So, yeah, you don't eat, like people can't even tell it's actually women recovering in a house. It just looks like a regular house. And that's what our plans are for the next one, to be the same. Hi, Leona Jacobs. I just have a follow-up. Um, so the question I have is, has there, in the case of these, these houses, these safe houses, has there been transgressions by their occupants? And if so, what are the consequences for the occupants? Uh, for like using, you mean? Yeah, so if they, you said that there's no visitors and they have to mm -hmm. abstain and mm -hmm. there's curfews and stuff, and what happens if they break out from those rules? Uh, there is consequences for the rules. If they don't come home for curfew, the door, there's a PIN number that's changed and they are locked out and they have to come see one of us the next day. If they're using, uh, they have to go straight to detox and, and they're not allowed to be in the house using and, and drinking. We will figure out a way to get them straight to detox and start all over again. And sorry, what was the last one? Well, that was, that was basically how do they, how do you, what happens to them? Yeah, they have consequences and stuff for their actions, absolutely. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask another question, moderator? Yes, Shawna, I would like you to tell us, um, if you were the provincial government, <coughs> where would you put the money? Where, where, where is the money from the provincial government most likely to uh, succeed in getting us through this crisis that we seem to be in right now? I can tell you absolutely where it needs to go. It needs to go to <coughs> detoxes. It needs to go to treatment centers because there's not enough. When our clients are phoning and they're denied because there's not enough beds, that's a problem, right? When they're ready to stop and there's nowhere for them to go, when they, they, when they get denied and we say there's no bed, call back tomorrow, they walk out that door and sometimes we don't see them come back, you know? And the sad part about it is sometimes we don't ever see them again. And so we need more for detox, more, for more treatment centers or more beds added because there's not enough beds at the, tr at the detox center as, as it sits right now. So definitely more help for that. And into, into safe, sober living houses, sober living houses. 
Mary, do you have one more question? Okay. <laughs> I'll allow. You guys are doing great. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Um, so your staff at the houses, uh, what requirements do they have? And, and uh, uh, do, they have, do they share some cultural things with the women who are living in that house? And just a little bit about the house and, and the experiences and training and so on that those, those staff people have? So the staff there has to have love and compassion, first things first, love and compassion. Most of them are uh, faith-based. They are, um, they've had experience either directly or indirectly with addictions and mental health cases and stuff like that. They have a love and a passion for women that is bigger than I've ever seen. The house moms that we do have right now, I actually have one that's sitting right here in front of me who does an amazing job and um, <coughs> taking care of the women and make sure they're following the rules and stuff. And she has been a, a blessing for almost three years now, completely. Three years she's been with us. So um, she does the house rules, makes sure the monitors, and she's the one who lets me know when all the things go wrong <laughs> if, if that happens. But we're, yeah, we have close relationships with them. We are always talking between the house moms and myself, and we do one-on-ones too with the women. So we always make sure that we, we know what's going on in the house. I would assume that the women in the house have house, household responsibilities as well. Absolutely, they have chores, you betcha. They have chores that they have to do on a weekly basis. They also, because it's like a home, they also have to, what we do is we have a meal program planning, so they plan their meals, let's say on Monday for the whole week. Each person, each individual has to take a certain night cooking, and then they, they, make a co they cook the dinner, and everybody sits like a family, like a regular family, has dinner together, and the one that doesn't, or the one that is cooking does not have to do the dishes. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're trying to make it as much a family home as possible with caring and loving and but responsibilities and consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we celebrate birthdays. We love celebrate birthdays, getting them cakes and whether it's a sobriety birthday or just a regular birthday and all of us getting together, we try to take them out and have do fun things with them too and women's conferences or you know, just taking them out to the movies and stuff and just getting them to know or just taking them shopping because, you know, now they have a little bit of extra money. So just the other day I took a, a lady shopping and she got to buy some stuff and just to see the, the smile on her face that she got to buy something new is, is, is enough for me to just, just like, ah. Yeah. With Dave here from the Herald, he will be writing this up and so you can expect there'll be some support growing I as part of that. Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 you didn't tell me that. <laughs> I don't see any more questions for Shauna, so I think this is probably a good time to wrap up. So on behalf of Saskia, um, first of all, I want to thank you for coming and sharing your personal story with us, but also the, the story around Genesis so we could all know more about the program. And I think as, as a group, we want to personally congratulate you on your four and a half years of sobriety and everything that you've accomplished in your life. Thank you for coming. Thank you.